You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Hello and welcome to TFM's local watering hole for all of those franchises outside of Star Trek that we love. I'm just one of the hosts, Matthew Rushing, and I'm really excited to have back with me the one and only Scott McClellan. Scott, how you doing tonight? I need guns. Lots and lots of guns. You know, I mean, I when has that phrase not been used in the john wick universe um i feel like that's what everybody's asking for so (laughs) which is funny because it doesn't really show up until john wick 3 because it's a matrix line it's true so well we're excited because we're going to be diving into the john wick universe but it's not actually a new john wick film it is the continental from the world of john wick there that premiered on peacock just a few weeks earlier um and i guess about a month now most likely by the time you get this but we're really excited to be covering that for you before we dive in thank you for checking us out and listening we love it and we appreciate you doing so of course uh to make sure that you get all of our episodes subscribe wherever you do listen uh if you're on apple Podcasts or spotify please give us a star rating review let other people know what you think of the show. Also, you can help us out with word of mouth, which is best these days on social media, whether it's uh, Twitter at the 602 Club, Instagram at the 602 Club TFM, on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm with the entire network. You can find our listeners-only discussion group you can join called the Babel Conference to talk to listeners from all over the world. And if you do like what we do, you can go over to Patreon at patreon.com slash trekfm and join our team. So, this is something that I didn't put on the outline, but I was just thinking about this before we, you know, started recording. And the the whole idea of doing a prequel to the John Wick series uh, and kind of going back in time to explain some of the characters, the setup, all of that. Was that something that you were excited for when you heard about the idea and that you were looking forward to? Yes, because... What I have loved as the John Wick film series has progressed was how each installment would add a new level to the mythology of this universe. It's It became like, ooh, what am I going to learn this time like you know what new questions am i going to be asking what new answers am i going to be getting and i felt like as the film series progressed i loved how it did just world build i'm a big world builder i love world building it's why some of the things that i love to read or watch are those more immersive types of storytelling that build worlds. So I felt like John Wick was doing that within the films. So the idea of more spinoffs 
that we're going to hopefully elaborate on that mythology, uh, expand that world. It was something that I was very much looking forward to. And, you know, you know, it was must see television like it, it was like it was on my list. Yeah, for me, this one was something I was definitely interested in. And a big part of that is because I think that there are so many unanswered questions about things in the John Wick universe. I specifically think of, you know, really the function of something like the high table, you know, how that works, what all that is really, um, you know, it's, it's still something, honestly, even after this series, we haven't had explored, uh, you know, I, there's just, there are a lot of, of different elements that I thought would be interesting. And so, yeah, I'm really going to, I think it's going to be a lot of fun to kind of dive into this and see, you know, um, what we think of what they do decide to cover and, and how that all works. Now, one of the things that was interesting is nobody really knew they, they announced that they were going to do a series, but, you know, I think most people, when we heard that, we kind of expected it to be, you know, maybe a, 10 episode series or something like that, you know, six episode series. And much like many of the premium format television series we get these days on our streaming platforms. But with this, they did three 90 minute episodes, which, you know, is almost like a a short feature each, each episode. Uh, And so I wanted to ask you how you just had, how did that end up working for you instead of maybe breaking it up into smaller episodes? That, is a complicated question, unfortunately. It sounds like it should be a very simple question, but I, I didn't mind the format because I personally had already been uh, exposed to that. Uh, the BBC Sherlock series with Benedict Cumberbatch. Yes. That's how yes. their seasons operated, except for when you did a, quote, season, they weren't three 90-minute episodes. They were, like, basically just three movies, like a very... It, it's a very British television format of storytelling. This, however, did not treat each episode as a separate movie almost. It was just a 90-minute episode. And I don't mind that idea in theory. I don't know if it served this story well. I'm trying to figure out, and I feel like I'm kind of showing my hand in some of my opinions about the show, but I can't decide if the show was too long or not long enough. So the idea of three 90-minute episodes, I don't mind the idea of a three-episode limited series with 90-minute episodes. I think maybe I question how they chose to spend those three 90-minute segments and the story they chose to tell. I, I, I think that's where it's not as easy of a question to answer as maybe you thought you were posing for me no i i i asked the question because 
in it, this is very funny. We have no idea what each other thought. We haven't really talked about it at all, other than the fact that we were going to be, you know, talking about this series together. And I agree with you. Um, I think that the format um, allowed for fat to be on the bone, while at the same time, not enough to be on the bone in other areas. Uh, and I think that's the thing is that it's like you could have cut away the fat. And I think streamlined some of the storytelling and some of the stories think maybe there are too many characters here in the series and they're trying to do too many things and it doesn't actually give enough time i think to really our main stories and i I think just to to call out i think this storyline that it pays off in the end but it takes way too long for you to figure out why it pays off. And by that point, I was having trouble caring. And that was the storyline with Katie, uh, the the police detective. And that whole storyline just feels so incredibly drawn out. And, and, ex- and extraneous. Like it, it, For the most part, yes. Right. I, I, that storyline felt a little deus ex machina at the end to be like, oh, this is why that story was here. That's why this character was here, you know, the whole time. And I, I, I and even when I found out the big reveal, I still didn't care. I'm going to be honest. It, I like what you said. There was... Too much of stuff I didn't care about and not enough of what I actually wanted from the series. Now, that's my own fault for coming in with certain expectations. Sure, sure. You know, and there's always that argument I have about expectations versus what the series was actually trying to do. But then when I look at what the series was actually trying to do, I was like, well, then it could have been. I almost feel like this could have been a movie instead of three 90 minute episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and I think that I, it really truly is a, a great way uh, to be kind of to, to jump into the idea of the story that we're telling. And the most important part of the story is Winston's story. Uh, and, you know, we're going back in time to the 70s to give us his rise in this world to how he comes in control of the Continental and why he has, in the end, such leeway with his role in the Continental, uh, especially running this this Continental in New York, um, and why he can kind of, you know, in some ways make his own rules um, because of, you know, what he's able to accomplish in this series, which that's... So that's the heart of, of the series. And I, I think... For the most part, I think they do a decent job with telling his story of of interweaving about him and his brother, their connection with our villain Cormac, you know, him being basically raised by him, but, you know, teaching them how to how to be thieves um, and the um, the way in which they were treated by him, the jobs they were required to do, um, you know, all of that I found to be interesting and i think well done and and honestly too i think it's also really well acted in the sense that colin woodall has enough of 
the vocal inflections that you could tell that he might turn into Ian McShane, you know, in like 30 years, 40 years. And so going to be honest, I struggled with that as the series went on. I was waiting to see if I felt like, could I see this guy becoming Ian McShane? And I, for me personally, I don't feel like it got me there by the end of these three episodes. Which I can totally understand, though, too, you know, why it might you know, not work for some people. And I think, you know, that's honestly the danger of kind of coming in and creating this character in a prequel, especially when the actor who's playing him is so indelible. You know, Ian McShane himself, I think, has a look, a feel, and a sound, which is very hard to any for anyone to duplicate other than himself. Um, and so I think the, the the task that Colin has here is is a tough one. I think for the most part, it works well enough for me um, that I can enjoy it and and feel like I am watching the same character, but a younger, less experienced version, you know, of that character. Yeah. It's I think and I feel like this was a criticism I saw on social media and sometimes I'm very wary about I almost feel dirty agreeing with social media criticism because it's like, no, it's social media. I'm supposed to fight against it. But there was a problem I had with him being American in this series when it it felt so clear to me in the films, especially with you having Ian McShane as Winston that he was European, that he was British. You know, it, it, I did have, I did personally have an issue with him being depicted as just a New York street kid, you know, in, in this series. And that kind of, for me, it kind of, it broke mythology. I know that there wasn't mythology to break because we'd never been told his backstory, but I felt like the story being told for me didn't work. Yeah, and I again, honestly, I I can't fault you on that. I totally get that. You know, I I think to me, um, seeing him as an American character and kind of a you know, my assumption too was the idea that you know he was some like British or or some you know European uh, descent, um, and and so that was a little bit shocking to me to see that play out. You know, um. It's interesting, too, the way he just kind of gets roped into all this as well, where, you know, his brother and him have worked for Cormac O'Connor, who is the manager of the Continental at this point uh, in time. And his brother has also been to Vietnam. He comes back, you know, pretty wounded, I would I, I think, emotionally, um, but also um, married uh, to a, a Vietnamese woman who uh, was going to be a, a suicide bomber and her vest didn't go off. They meet each other and fall in love and, and end up, you know, coming back to the States together and he making a living as an assassin. And he's ordered to, you know, steal the uh, gold coin mint, um, which, uh, you know, 
gives us all the coins that we have in use at the continental and in this world. And so, um, and it, it was all of that to me was a really interesting setup because you could understand too why uh, everybody would be so keen to get this back. Because if it's the only one that it exists, this entire world runs because of that coin mint. Uh, but and is so, it the only one that's okay? I'm gonna. I mean, I'm, they I'm, the high table makes it seem like it is because they. Um, uh, why would they care so much unless they're just worried about maybe counterfeit coins? I say I think that right there. I think is an issue that I have with the storytelling. Is why do they care so much? Like it, it's not. Except for the fact that it's, you know, an antique, it's a, mm-hmm. it, it, it's property of the high table, like, like all that I can make sense, but I, I feel like I'm not saying that you're quote wrong because I think my issue is the show never confirmed nor denies like, well, I, th- I think it does confirm that that's the case because at the end of the show, right, he gives the coin press to the Bowery King. And she's holding it in the bank that he's given to her. And that's the only thing that explains why Winston could get away with shooting the adjudicator and having the leeway that he has throughout the rest of his life as the manager of this continental is if he has control of the only coin press or at least one of them. See, and that's the thing. I think I think the issue I'm taking is the idea that it's the only one. I just feel like it's. A one like it it and but once again sure. the actual John Wick world stuff and once again this is where my expectations or my desires for this series were unfulfilled is I feel like the whole idea of the Continentals as an entity. You know, not just this one hotel, but like the concept of a continental and the high table. I was really hoping that the show as a prequel was going to not tell all, but just kind of like the films did be one more installment that was going to give me one more piece of the pie. And I didn't really feel like when the show was over that I came away knowing more about the world than I did going into it. And I will agree with you because I, I do think that, and, and this is where, you know, when I said what I was kind of hoping for coming in, none of those things happen. We don't learn anything about the high table itself. It's just another, you know, boogeyman out there that's kind of running everything and, you know, we do get another adjudicator, but not um, anything different there. I mean, there's there's nothing. Um, yeah, there's just nothing there that that is filling in things we don't know. And I, I do think, you know, when we talked about the format, you know, as we're talking about this storyline for Winston and, and its implications then for everything else, it does feel like there isn't enough clarity for us to truly understand what's at stake and why, you know, I, I think the, the the thing here is that you could literally just add three or four words 
that would negate all of the questions that we're kind of asking, right? You know, which amounts to what a second or two of screen time. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's just something within three 90 minute episodes for us to not fully understand exactly what's going on. And on top of that, this idea that the adjudicator talks about some mysterious organization called the Nile, who knows what that even is either. So it felt like not only did they not probe any of the mysteries that we've had coming out of the John Wick world from the John Wick films, but they added another mystery on top of that. And it's like, well, you know, I, I just want somebody to open up some of the mystery boxes we already have, then add one more to the pile. And I don't mind a new mystery because that's kind of what the films did. Like you learn one thing and then they'd add something new. And, and I was cool with that because they didn't I like, you know, they didn't hand me a mystery box in the movies without at least letting me open the one before it, you know? Sure. This didn't open anything for me. Yeah. And yeah. I, and I was ultimately, that was a, a disappointment of the series was that I was not enlightened on anything, you know? Sure. And, and I was hoping for that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, couldn't agree with you more on that. Um, you know, so obviously another huge part of this uh, comes down to the fact that uh, you've got a major villain here and it's played by, you know, Oscar winning actor Mel Gibson. And so I really wanted to see uh, how you felt about him, his role here, uh, and did it. Did his portrayal of this kind of uh, maniacal, maniac, megalomaniac running the Continental work for you? Okay, another complicated answer to a relatively simple sounding question. I am not being I I am not being easy tonight. Um, I thought Mel Gibson's performance fit the character that I'm being told that he is with the accent choice that he makes you really do get the idea that this is a street crook that got a major promotion like yeah my issue is then not with mel gibson's performance i'm gonna take it back to the writing i it's it's never really explained well why Cormac got to be in charge of the Continental. He just is. And 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 I'm and my understanding from the films would have been that you have a relationship with the high table, which means you're in this world of assassins. And it the the problem was was that the Continental didn't feel like it's one of many continentals. It just feels like the continental in New York is a singular entity, especially when you have a man like Cormac running it. He doesn't feel like he belongs in this world. He's an, and, and that's a point the series kind of makes. He's an outsider 
in a way to the high table. But then why are you then running a continental? Like, uh, once again, questions that, like, the series did not provide clarity. I enjoyed Mel Gibson's performance on screen. I have issues with the writing of the character, but not with Mel Gibson's portrayal of said character. Does that make sense? No, I think you've raised all completely valid issues, and I think all of them not only make sense, but are are problems with the writing of the show. And, you know, again, with you, I think yeah, Mel Gibson plays the role pretty perfectly. Uh, you know, he, he does exactly what you would expect Mel Gibson to do in this type of role. I think he does it really well. Um actually very impressed with with the way in, uh, that that he does this you know he's just and part of this is that um, you know just having recently uh within the last few months watched you know Braveheart and things like the Patriot and uh those kind of you know roles that he's played like he just can be so incredibly charming at one moment and then just a rage-filled maniac the next you know, and does that great here. But I think you're absolutely right that the problem with this in going back in time is they don't really do a good job of putting us back into the world of John Wick, which mm -hmm. is this is part of the title um, and explaining what's different about this version of the world of John Wick than the one that we know from John Wick. And part of that, I think, is not quite understanding whether or not is New York the only continental at this point. Are there maybe only three continentals in the world? I mean, you know, we don't really know. And then, of course, your question, which I thought was great, is how would he get to be in charge of this? What I mean, did he have information over somebody or I, I don't know, you know, and so it is, I think, another issue with the series where it's just, you know, it's running on a, a really average level because the writing isn't creating anything above average. And above average writing is the kind of writing that actually allows you to be invested in the characters, invested in the story, and have answers to questions that you get in your mind as you're watching it and then they get answered. But we have sat here for, you know, 30 minutes almost and have very few answers to a lot of the questions that we've asked. And that's not a good place to be with a series, especially when you have this amount of time that you're spending um, on screen, you know, three 90 minute episodes. So, and I and I feel like, you know, and that's the weird thing is that the movies had equal or less amount of time to tell their stories. And each of them built a world much more successfully than mm -hmm. this limited series does in its entirety. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think another place where, you know, that becomes kind of an issue to me 
is in this kind of army of friends that Winston kind of, you know, attracts or finds in the end, you know, whether uh, it's Miles or his uh, sister Lou, um, you know, I, I think Yen is is more interesting because we get more time to, to dive into her story. Um, but then there are all these kind of side characters that just, I mean, honestly, the one I like the most is Gene. Yes. I think he gets, thank you. The, thank you know, you. he really gets other than Yen, I think who actually gets a, a, a through storyline, right? She gets an entire arc because of, you know, her being uh, married or her, married to his brother and the issue that goes on there and, you know, him getting killed and her wanting revenge, all of that. I think they do a great job with that one, but the comedy relief and, and the, just the funny quirkiness of Gene actually ends up being, I think my favorite thing about the series in the end. The thing about, I think you nailed it. Gene is a character who feels like he belongs in the world of John Wick. Yes. Everybody else, I'm being hyperbolic here, but everyone else aside from Gene just feels like they could have been plucked into any 1970s New York television series. Yes. This, I, I think what I'm ultimately getting at is this show says from the world of John Wick, but there's very little from the show that makes me feel like I'm in the world of John Wick. Gene, as a character, goes, no, that's a guy I would see being in, you know, the world of John Wick. I, I think the difference is because when you watch the movies, almost everyone you meet is a hitman. You know, in some weird, quirky way, everyone you meet is a hitman. And in this show... They almost intentionally made nobody who was in our main cast of characters an actual high table assassin. And so it was I really mean, other than Gene, who is, uh, you know, an aging one who's kind of starting to lose his eyesight. <laughs> but once again, that makes it interesting because he's yes. still he's still part of that world. Yeah. So and. You didn't know his complete story, but I wanted to know. But you right. got enough of him to go, oh, he he would stay at the Continental. He is a hitman. He has a moral compass. He's losing his eyesight. You know, there there once again, you know, this is what builds up like those really cool supporting characters who would show up in all the individual John Wick movies where you didn't get their full story. You didn't know why or how they all knew John. You know, they just existed in the world. They were a hitman of some variety. And you just believed it. I mean, even going back to Willem Dafoe in, you know, the first John Wick movie, who was probably one of the most vanilla hitmen in, you know, the series. Because in that first movie, you know, he's just a hitman. You know, they didn't quite, you know, they didn't, he didn't. It wasn't until like two and three when they really started getting a little bit more outlandish yeah. and having very unique, you know, personalities to really distinguish them as the series mm -hmm. went on. Yeah. Yeah. Gene feels like he's just a hitman, but he's got quirks that makes him an interesting character. Mm hmm. 
Well, and and just his the way in which th- this whole thing happens with him and the woman who he thought, you know, she wasn't going to be at her apartment during this point of time. And then it turns out she is. And so and then, you know, he's so nice to her, but, you know, he has to tie her up because he can't let her interfere with the job that he's got. And then it turns out that, you know, she is ready for a little bit of excitement in her life. And, you know, that kind of creates this budding relationship. And it's just it's incredibly funny and quirky. And like you said, I think it's the thing that makes it it's charming. Like it, yeah. And it feels like it fits in this world because that's the type of side character that we did get in a lot of those John Wick movies, right? We would get those kind of quirky, funny people, um, and that's enjoyable. And so I think they did a really good job with that. You know, unfortunately, I do feel like, you know, most of the other people are just not as interesting. You know, even the fact that we have the Queen of the Bowery, um, you know— Obviously, she and her army kind of come in and help in the end, but it's just there's there's just not enough there for the storyline, which is disappointing uh, and which, you know, I think leads me to want to talk to you, Ben, about Sharon's story, because, of course, he's the other main character here that we know from the original films. And it's it's about his connection with uh, Cormac, his connection with Winston how all that plays together and and basically kind of what makes him the person that is so sold out to the, not only the continental, but also to Winston as a person in the end. And do you feel like they earn that at all? He works like that. Like, like I talked about how Winston, the actor and the character, the way it was written in this series, I didn't feel like connected to becoming Ian McShane in the films. I feel the opposite about Sharon. Like I could see this guy becoming Lance Reddick in, in the films like that worked for me as a character. I, I, I wish there had been more time. Um, like even with the cello player, it's like that was so glossed over. I felt like like that was something that could have been like built uh, built up and explored. And, and, and I, but at least with the actor and the character as presented and written in this series, this didn't break it for me. Like I could see this being a progression to being, you know, the concierge that we see in the films. Sure. Well, and I find it, you know, to me, it's interesting because uh, I think the thing that I wanted more of with him, and I agree with you, I think he works. I think he does a great job of portraying the character. What I guess I wanted even more of is the the relationship with Winston, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's the only place where I, I wanted more when it came to Sharon's story, because I also felt like you in the sense that I get why they have the cello player story in there because it helps Sharon choose a side. You know, it, it, it helps him see truly who Cormac is as a character and to make the turn on him and, and then to trust Winston. But I wish there was even more to that part of the story, that turn to trusting Winston and really bonding them in a way that 
you know, if you never got anything else from this prequel era of this world, that you would have felt like you truly kind of understood their friendship, their relationship, their respect for one another, all those type of things. Uh, and so, but I thought he was great. I, I thought actor did a great job portraying him. You could totally see him turning into that character. And, um, you know, I, I even liked his, his chemistry with the actor playing Winston too. I thought that they did a good job together. Um, it just, it was one of those places where we talked about the writing and the focus that we got. And that's one of the places I would have liked more focus. Yeah. I, I think it comes down to, and, and it's a thread of what we've been discussing so far. There were a lot of characters. I could have dealt with less quantity and more quality. There were characters that could have been, and, sh and in my opinion, should have been utterly struck from the script to give more time to the characters who feel like they belong in this world and would have helped to develop them as characters more and to make the story feel richer and deeper instead of really yeah. sort of flat and superficial. Yeah. No, I 100% agree with you. And, and I think one of the places that I also kind of saw that isn't some of the weird elements. And the biggest weird element I think that they create is the twins, Hansel and Gretel, where it's the very outlandish, uh, you know, version of the assassin in this world where they kind of give them a, a very recognizable look and everything. And they're not bad or anything like that. And, you know, you're kind of glad when they both end up dying because that's kind of how these movies work. Um, and, of course, the adjudicator herself is a part of the, one of these weird elements. But it's it's also another part of this story where I felt as though it wasn't as important in this era to be kind of focusing on those weird elements as much as it was important to be focusing on the specific story elements with characters like Winston and Sharon and truly making sure that those are the two main story elements and anything else that really isn't building into that, I think is kind of extraneous. And when we kind of talked about the format and everything and about, you know, is it too long? Is it too short? Those are the places where I feel like there's just some fat that you could have trimmed and allowed for, other more important elements to be highlighted. I completely, I completely agree. I mean, the one awesome thing about not particularly Hansel, but Gretel was that at least the actor actress that they have performing because of her flexibility made for a really awesome fight scene at the end of episode three. And yes, and and I hope that there is a portion that we can talk about the lack thereof or what was presented of action in this series. Go for it. I think it's a perfect time to talk about it. Okay. When we talk about John Wick, I mean, 
the discussion, how I was sold on watching the first John Wick movie at all. I did not see the first John Wick in theaters. I saw two, three, and four in theaters, but I didn't see the first one. Because it wasn't until after the film came out that one of my best friends, who used to be a roommate of mine, who's a former Marine, sold me on the movie by going, oh no, Keanu like went through like intensive training and like he knows what he's doing. And I'm sitting there going, a Marine. I mean, those guys are all up in their own business, but a Marine is telling me, no, Keanu knows what he's doing in this movie. Yeah. And, and I was like, oh, oh, oh. And then you and then you watch the movie and then you hear about how his stuntman is the director. And, you, and, and that and that launches this era of stunt performers turn directors because as a stunt performer, they know how to shoot stunts because they've done them and and i really feel like it's helped to um evolve the action you know there there's there there's before there's there's bjw and there's ajw there's there's before john wick and there's after john wick as far as action movies are concerned and i have loved how in the after john wick era i can watch a movie or a tv show and i can tell you when that actor has had some honest to god training on how to handle a weapon and and how to you know because another example of that would be like chris pratt in the terminal list series on amazon like the way they carry it the way they hold it it's like oh no you've had a military person like show you what's what and that was lacking in this series the closest we got was Charlie's big action scene in episode one when he steals the coin press. That felt like, oh, okay, this feels like John Wick-ish. Not, it doesn't feel like John Wick, but it feels John Wick-ish enough. And then at no other point in this series that I feel like... It's like they didn't deliver on the one thing that the John Wick world, the John Wick franchise... Is known for, which is the violence and the action. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not saying. I mean, you don't have Chad Stahelski directing or choreographing. You know, these episodes. I get that, but still, if you're gonna say from the world of John Wick, you gotta give me something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the series didn't, except for. That one sequence in episode one, which still didn't feel John Wickish. It was maybe more like Netflix Daredevil, but still something. You gave me, you threw me a bone there. Yeah. And then you get the cool fight with the, uh, you know, Gretel in episode three. Not mm-hmm. shot particularly interesting, but at least the choreography is intriguing. Right. Yes. Yeah. And. But literally, you gave me something at the beginning of episode one, and you gave me something at the end of episode three. There's a lot of runtime in between there that you just left me high and dry. And it, and in my opinion, the series suffers for it. I agree with you in every single area 
because this is just a series that can't and doesn't live up to the action we've been used to in the films. And it, I don't even know if it tries. It do, and, I think that's the point. It doesn't try, and I think it fails for not trying. Mm-hmm. But I think that this is the thing. You could have not tried. And if you had given us, I think, a more streamlined story and really focused in on the rise of Winston and Sharon to the level where they're meant to be, you know, when we get them in the series, I think that would have made the lack of the type of action we're used to in the John Wick series interesting. And the biggest part of that is because the story is about, you know, two characters who are not assassins. Yes. Okay. Yes. And so, so, but the problem is, is because we don't get, I think, the type of all-encompassing, really interesting story that we wanted for both of them, then we fall back on, well, I just, I didn't get the action that I would have hoped then that I would get from, you know, something in the John Wick world. And I think that's really what becomes the problem, right? The storyline isn't interesting enough. And I don't think as told as coherently enough as we would wanted. And then when there isn't the action, then you're just kind of left in this place like you're frustrated, right? Because you didn't get either of the things that you wanted from the series kind of coming in. You know, Um, you didn't get enough of the exploration of the world of John Wick. You didn't get um, a coherent, cohesive storyline for the two main characters and then you didn't get the action and so you know it it just kind of seems like in many ways you you, you're sort of failing on all levels there which is not where you want to be with this story right so um and that's you know that's frustrating which creates this question that is is really interesting to me of you know they haven't mentioned whether or not this would be getting a second season um even you know idea of what they might do in this season uh if it did happen maybe it would be in the 80s who knows um would you want another season of this show (sighs) that is a another difficult question for me because it's like if you did do another season, and, and and it was never presented to us like it was going to be a multi-season show, I always interpreted it as a limited series, which meant here are my three episodes, bada bing, bada boom, we're done. Which I think then compounds the disappointment of, well, that's what you gave me? Uh, if they did do a companion series I would seriously have to look at them and go that I need you to do a creative overhaul (laughs) I mean you need to find different writers you really need to break a really interesting story and I mean Albert Hughes is a director that I know with his other with his brother has directed some movies that I've kind of sort of enjoyed um 
I need you to get an action director. Like, like I, or it, it's either, I think like you said, give me a really compelling story or give me really compelling action, preferably give me both. But you can't not give me a compelling story and then also not give me compelling action. Yeah, I mean, I feel like for me, um, the answer is similar uh, in the sense that you are going to have to create a compelling reason for me to kind of kind of want to come back to this. And, you know, it, it's one of those things where you know, after we finished the show, it was like, oh, that's that's good. Um, but I think the problem is, is that uh, I haven't thought about it since it came out and we watched it, my wife and I. And, you know, it's um, been disappointing because I wanted really to like this series. You know, I've really enjoyed the John Wick movies and this idea I thought was very interesting uh, to do. Um, but in all honesty, I'm much more excited about the idea of the ballerina film that they're doing, which seems like a much better way to fit into this John Wick world than maybe this does, because you're coming into that, of course, expecting the action, right? Uh, because you've got Anadarmus, you know, you'll, you'll have a, a director that's to, you know, directed action and the movie will be about action. And so, um, yeah, I, I think that this is where it's like, mm, maybe, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, and so. And the thing about the ballerina is that instead of trying to tell us a prequel, I think it's doing something that the franchise would be more amenable to, which is let's pluck an element out of what we saw in the films and let's, follow that tangent like i like i feel like the world of john wick while you could do prequels i think this has shown that maybe spinoffs within the world are more interesting because it's like take this element from the from the series because like we saw the ballerinas in john wick 2 and let's follow that yeah i agree um so uh, all in all, the, the question then becomes, uh, what do you rate the Continental from the world of John Wick? It's weird because I feel like there's two different ratings for this. There's the ratings based on as a installment in the John Wick universe. And then there's just, OK, it was a show. How would I rate it just as a show? Uh I feel like my answer of how I would rate it as an installment of the John Wick universe has been uh, expressed throughout this review <laughs> and this discussion. I would not rate it very highly. However, it's not a piece of poo-poo, okay? It, it's not a steaming pile of crap. You know, it it's a okay, average at best made television series uh, that honestly would have benefited from not trying to connect itself to the world of John Wick. So I feel like I would give it uh, three bloody dead cello players out of five, you know. You know, it's a really interesting question for me. I think that I was more amenable to the show when I had finished watching it. And as time has gone on, I've kind of soured to it. And I think that 
is legitimately just because it hasn't aged well in my mind. You know, the, the more I've thought about things, the more I've, I've kind of seen in many of the ways that we talked about, I, I kind of feel almost as if this show fails on all the levels you would think it would be trying to to reach, mm-hmm. right? Um, and because of that, you know, is it terrible? No, I, I mean, that I think for the most part, I think all the actors do a good job in it. There's some things I do like about it. And so I'm going to give it two out of five continental gold coins uh, because, yeah, I I could give it 2.5. But honestly, the more I thought about it, I don't even know if it's average, right? You know, that it's baseline of 2.5. Like it's like, you know, I I just don't think it to me kind of raises to that level, unfortunately, because it's kind of soured in my mind the more than I've thought about it. And I think you hit it. I haven't really thought about it. Like, it was a thing that I watched, and then I moved on. And it's not like the John Wick films where it's like, I, I want to go back and I want to watch it again. And I want to dig into, you know, I want to listen to interviews and I want to, you know, like, no, none of that. It's like, okay, I watched the show. Cool. It's over. Um, the biggest criticism I can ever give, and, and anyone who's listened to Squadcast movies over at patreon.com slash squawkcast media will attest to is my death knell my like you know you always remember like the idea of the roman emperor standing in the Colosseum and the gladiator is presented to them and they always do like the thumbs up or thumbs down you know my equivalent to that that's been famously recorded is do I get so disinterested and or bored in something that I'm watching that I start fiddling on my phone while it's playing? Because I'm one of those people that's like, put your damn phone down. Just watch the show. I have this argument with my wife all the time. It's like, if you would just put your phone down and watch the show, you'd answer all your questions. <laughs> but when I find myself disinterested enough that I will start scrolling on Twitter or Facebook – while it's playing because I don't feel the need to be like engrossed in it. That's a problem. It happened during the show on a few occasions where I found myself picking up my phone, just kind of diddling instead of watching. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, I'm right there with you at, you know, any, any time I'm watching something for the first time and I find the desire to kind of go and, play on my phone in any way or check something it, it does let me know that i'm not as interested as i would want to be in the series or the movie you know uh and so yeah i i think that's that's a real key and and, and in all honesty too I, I think the other thing here is that we live we live in a society uh <laughs> that has so many options for entertainment that you have to be making the best of whatever it is you're trying to do to keep people's attention. Right. And, you know, I, I feel like this is one of those things where it's really not going to probably keep too many people's full attention, the full amount of the time. And it's just going to get lost in the entertainment ether and, you know, it'll get forgotten, um, you know, and so 
and that's you know I think we're getting to a place where more and more uh, streaming services are going to go more for quality than quantity. But you know uh, where we are now, it's like you got to be making quality to stand out, um, and so uh, you know, unfortunately just uh just wasn't there on this one but scott i know you've got a ton of things that you're doing uh these days and so where can people find you if they wanted to catch up with you of course you can find me on x i was i still giggle every time i say that oh at scott dc 27 uh i'm on instagram now you can find me at mcmerlin uh i'm on vero at scott mcclellan you can find my podcast, the DC Squadcast, wherever podcasts can be found. Episodes are few and far between. Life is busy for my co-host and producer. Uh, but you can still – we have oh, almost 400 episodes. You can go listen to some backlogs. And we've got some episodes of the Batman scene by scene in the can that hopefully will be coming out soon when he's got the time to produce those. But you can find me every Sunday night at 9 o'clock Central Time at the Film Junkie YouTube channel as I am a co-host of the DC Fanimated Stream, where we discuss every episode of the DC Animated Universe uh, in chronological order. We are currently flip-flopping between episodes of Season 2 of Superman the Animated Series and Season 3 of Batman the Animated Series. Awesome, man. Everybody should check all that out for you. Of course, you can find me all over social media under the name MattRushing02. Just type in my name. If I'm there, that's what I'm under. Uh, you can also find me, of course, here on the network outside the 602 Club with a bunch of shows, Literary Treks, The Orb, Warp 5, The Artificial Tango, and Saddle Up. You can also find me over on the Nerd Party Network with a completed show called Owlpost, talking about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series. And then you can find me doing aggressive negotiations with John Mills as we're talking about Star Wars pretty much each and every week. But... Thank you so much for joining us. And yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. <laughs>